following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Thank you. Thanks. Shalom. All right. Thanks. Making you feel at home. It's great to be here, and uh, I, people are surprised to hear when I tell them that I, I'm with Jews for Jesus. They say, they say, Jews for Jesus? Isn't that like a contradiction? I mean, I thought, you know, Jews don't believe in Jesus. Isn't that like saying vegetarians for roast beef? <laughs> so so um, I get to tell them, well, you know, I mean, like Pastor Brian said, all the first Christians were all the first believers in Jesus were Jewish, and you know he came as the long-awaited promised Messiah, and he had a Hebrew name, Yeshua. And what's more Jewish than believing in Jesus? But but that he's for everybody, Irish, you know, and and Californians and all the others. Now I'm originally from Texas. I was born and raised in San Antonio, and people say Jews for Texas. I thought you know you Jews, they you guys all came from you know the the Holy Land, Brooklyn. And so I say, well, now, down in Texas, we speak Texan Hebrew. We say shalom, y'all, so it's okay. So, and I grew up celebrating the Passover every year. But before I get started, I want to teach you a song. The song is a real simple Hebrew-Israeli song. The words in English mean... We bring you peace. We bring you peace. And, and that's what we're doing. As believers in Jesus, we have a message of peace to a world that's at war, both spiritually and politically. So let me teach you the three simple Hebrew words. Why don't you repeat with me? The first word is hevenu. Hevenu. The second word is shalom. And the third word is alechem. Hevenu shalom alechem. Okay, just be careful on that. Second word, a third word if you're sitting like right behind somebody's back. Okay. Havenu shalom alechem. I'll sing it through and you just listen and just join with me. This is a hand clapping song. You can join with me and uh, as we sing this through. Havenu shalom alechem. Havenu shalom alechem. Havenu shalom alechem. Avenu Shalom, everybody. Avenu Shalom, Alacham. Avenu Shalom, Alacham. Avenu Shalom, Alacham. Avenu Shalom, 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 Alacham. Avenu Shalom, Alacham. Avenu Shalom, Alacham. Avenu Shalom, Alacham. Hey! All right. Well, we're approaching Passover, which is going to be celebrated March 25th, and it's an observance that I celebrated growing up. Jewish people continue to celebrate it every year. This year, like I said, it's March 25th at sundown. And it's, it's an event when we remember that we used to be slaves in the land of Egypt, and then God miraculously brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, and he brought us, to, uh, he brought us into the land of Canaan, and he established his covenant. And Jewish people continue to celebrate this 
every year, like we have since, well, 3,000 years, 1400 B.C., we've continued to celebrate this ancient observance. But as I talk about it this morning, and I'm going to take you through the Passover Seder and explain all the symbols here, we, as believers in Jesus, are going to see something that most of my Jewish people miss. And that is that in the story of Passover and in the symbols here at the table, the whole thing was, was pointing 1,400 years into the future to the coming of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. Now open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. And let's begin with a word of prayer. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I pray that as we look into your word, we get this morning more than just information, more than just historical data. Lord, touch us this morning. May we, may we hear from you and get spiritual food. In Yeshua's name, amen. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said, Where will you have us prepare it? He said, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with Jesus. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now that had to be a surprise to the disciples. I don't think they were expecting Jesus to talk about his suffering. He entered the land of Judea. He entered the city of Jerusalem with great pomp and circumstance. The people, the crowds lined up as he came through the eastern gate on the back of a donkey. They threw down the palm branches. They cried out, Hoshana, which is Hebrew for Yahweh save us, because they were expecting Jesus to come through and liberate them from the oppression of the Romans. They were expecting Jesus on this great festival day when the city of Jerusalem had swollen to over a million There were pilgrims there in the city from all over, from the Galilee, from Egypt, Jewish people who had come from even far away, maybe as far as some of the Greek colonies, and come in to celebrate at this pilgrimage festival. And they all loathed the Romans, so maybe at this Passover supper, the Last Supper, Jesus, sitting with his disciples, would reach under and pull out a sword. 
And he'd hold it up, and he'd pull out this scroll, which is a map of Judea or even Jerusalem, and lay it out. And he said, all right, Peter, you take this skate over here, and, 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 and John, you take this over here, and, and let's all gather around the, the palace, and we'll attack, and we'll rid Judea by bloodshed. And instead, at the table, he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to be with you. They weren't expecting that. He had to explain in the course of the Passover Seder that the mission of the Messiah was to come and suffer and die and rise the third day. For the Messiah had to suffer as our Lamb of God who would take away the sins through his sacrifice. So in the Last Supper, it was kind of like a seminar on Christology, on the work of Christ, on what he had to do and the meaning of the Passover. So I'm going to lead you through that, through that this morning as I talk about the symbols and how Jewish people celebrate it. Let me tell you a little bit about how Jewish people celebrate it even today. The Passover is an eight-day festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the days of unleavened bread, we eat nothing with leaven or yeast in it. Leaven is often in the scriptures used as a symbol for sin. You see, if you're baking bread, you take a little bit of leaven and you add that to the dough, and it's the leaven that causes the dough to rise and be puffed up, just like sin causes us to be puffed up in our own eyes. So by not eating anything with leaven or yeast, it's kind of like saying to God that we want to purge our lives, we want to purge our homes of sin. So we go through the house and we remove everything that has any leaven in it. Bread, cake, cookies, Captain Crunch, and Hostess Ding Dong. And after we remove all that out of the house, we can celebrate the Passover. Now, before I go any farther, our greeters, uh, I think Kate and Sarah, were handing these out at the door. Do, who did not get one? Who's here who did? Okay, a lot of people. You can have Kate come back in. She's got a stack of these. Raise your hands if you don't have this, because it's got some of the terms I'm going to talk about, some of the blessings that... Um, I'm going to recite as I go through this. I want to make sure everyone gets one. Okay. Great. So open it up to the first panel, and you'll see a picture of a Seder plate. And that's the plate here that I'm going to explain with all the symbols on it. You'll see that there are four cups. And the four cups of Passover, and I have... Four cups here. But really, we all have one cup, and that cup is filled up four times. And each time we fill it up, we give it a different name. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. The second cup, the cup of plagues. The third cup, the cup of redemption. Who didn't get one? We've got a few more left. Okay, great. And the last cup, the cup of praise. So those are the four cups. The Father will recite the first cup. But first, the mother lights the traditional candles and she'll recite the blessing which will sanctify the meal and set it apart for God. 
That is a torch. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kidshanu B'mitzvotav Vitzivanu Lahadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us in thy commandments and bidden us to kindle the festive lights. Now, men will cover their heads as a sign of respect to God with a yarmulke, the kippah, which is a way of showing subservience to God. It reminds us that there's someone who's above us. The Father will hold up the first cup of wine and recite the blessing over it. The Hebrew word for sanctification is kedush, because we're sanctifying the meal. Boruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Borei Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Amen. And with that, the Passover Seder has begun. Now we call this a Seder, S-E-D-E-R. That's the Hebrew word for order, because the whole service, the ceremony, follows the order given in this book. This is called the Haggadah. Haggadah is the Hebrew word for the telling. And if you were to sit down at a Passover Seder with a friends or neighbors, you'd have a book you would go through. And we actually published our own Messianic Haggadah. We have a family Haggadah, which goes through this, tells you how you would put this together. It's got some of the songs that we would sing. But it's Messianic, so it underscores the fulfillment in Christ. And I have some of these on the table over there in the fellowship area. I've got a table with literature, literature that's, well, some's free and some's not so free. Talk to me, or let me introduce my friend Jackie who came with me. Jackie, you stand up. So Jackie will be there, I'll be there, or my little nine-year-old Chinese daughter, Carrie Fu, she'll be over there too. So you can stop over and look. By the way, while I mention it, if you do go over to the table, um, you'll see not just our stuff, but Carrie's quite an artist, and she brought her greeting cards. So stop by and look. Carrie goes and studies at Kids Art in Tarzana, and so if you want to stop by, she brought her assortment of her art also that she has over on the table. But for now, the, the, the service has begun, and the youngest child at the table has memorized four questions. And the answers to these questions are going to kind of unpack the meaning of the Passover Seder. And you find them on the second panel, uh, the four questions. And they're recited in Hebrew. And the first one sounds like this. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we are not required to dip our herbs even once. That's in salt water. Why on this night do we dip them twice? On all other nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? 
So the four questions. And the father answers by telling the story of Passover. That's the story of Passover. How, how we were slaves in the land of Egypt, and we were impressed into slavery in labor camps to build the treasure cities for Pharaoh. And we cried out to God, and God raised up Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. But Pharaoh refused. And God brought nine plagues in the land of Egypt. But after each plague, Pharaoh refused to let the Jewish people go. So after the ninth plague, God told Moses, I want you to take a perfect lamb, a lamb in which no blemish is found. Kill the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb. Go to the doorposts of your houses and put the blood on the two side posts and then the lintel above. And then that night, the angel of death came through Egypt and the angel of death killed the firstborn of every living thing in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of the cattle out in the field to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon to the firstborn of Pharaoh's own household. His own son died. All of the firstborn, except in the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews were. For them, when the angel of death saw the blood on the doorposts, the angel of death passed over. And that's why we call this holiday Passover or Pesach. This is the holiday when we remember death passed over the houses of Israel when he saw the blood on the doorposts. So the children of Israel were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Do you see the picture we have here in the Jewish scriptures? Look at this picture. Look at this foreshadowing. This is not a coincidental parallel, okay? This is not parallelomania. This is not, you know, looking at accidental. You have a very intentional, deliberate picture in the Jewish scriptures that is 1,400 years before the coming of Jesus. That lamb was innocent without any blemish, just like Jesus was without any sin. He had no blemish. And that lamb had to be sacrificed. The blood had to be shed that we would be redeemed from death of our firstborn, just like Jesus had to be sacrificed. And his blood shed on the cross that we would be redeemed from personal spiritual death, just as that lamb was sacrificed that we would be redeemed from slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh. The blood of Yeshua was sacrificed that we would be redeemed from slavery in this world to sin. And in the 10th plague, it didn't matter if you were born in a Hebrew home, if your parents were slaves, if their parents were slaves before them, you had to do something. You had to appropriate or receive the free gift of redemption that night. I mean, a gift is free. A gift is something that's given to you, but it's not yours until you reach out and receive it. You appropriate it. 
They had to actually go to the doorposts of their house and they had to respond in faith. They had to put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their homes. It's the same principle with Jesus. You know, it doesn't matter if you're born in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christian and they go to church and, and even you go to church. Being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a bakery might make you a bagel. But I can't talk about bagels, just unleavened bread. It's Passover. We have to personally go to our doorpost of our hearts. We have to apply the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of our hearts. So the youngest child asks, why do we eat unleavened bread? We eat matzah, just bread made without any flour and water, just, just bread, flour and water, bread without any yeast or leavening. It reminds us that the night we were redeemed... We were in such a haste to leave Egypt, we had to eat the bread while it was still flat, before it had time to rise as it was baking. So on Passover, we have matzahs, and you can find these, you know, Ralph's, Gelson's. They get pretty creative. I've seen egg matzah, whole wheat matzah. I even see gluten-free matzah. Now, I'm not sure how they do that. Chocolate-covered matzah. So... Sure, Moses and Aaron would have loved that. Then we take three matzahs and put it in a pouch that sits in the middle of the table. It's called a matzah tash. It's got three matzahs that are hidden from our view. We don't see them except the middle. The middle is removed for a moment. The father takes it and he recites a blessing over it. He breaks it. And he takes this part to put it aside. This part we're not going to eat yet in the Passover meal. It's hidden. It's wrapped in a linen cloth. And then it's hidden somewhere in the household. It's buried from our view. Now, it's got a name. We call it the afikomen. Say that with me. Afikomen. It's a Greek word. It means he that comes later because that's what happens. It's taken and hidden somewhere in the house. has to be found later or the service can't be concluded. And then I can't let y'all go home. So there. So now after that, the youngest child asks the other questions. Why do we recline on pillows? And we do on pillows like this because we used to be slaves. And a slave had to eat standing up, waiting upon his or her master. Now we're free. And as free people... We can recline, so we do it by leaning on pillows like this at the meal. We have, two, uh, we have other food items. The child asks, why do we dip our greens in water and why do we eat bitter herbs? The food items will sit on this plate. This is called a Passover Seder plate. And it would be put in the middle of the table, and it's got six compartments. And on each compartment, we put the symbolic foods. Now, if you look on your first panel, you'll see the, the Hebrew names of the different food items. For example, the greens, the parsley is called the karpas, and um, the lamb bone is called the zroah, and I'll talk about all of those. The first, the, the karpas, that would be the, the parsley, the greens. 
Greens represents life. So everybody takes a sprig of parsley, we pass it around the table, and we eat it, but first we dip it in salt water. Salt water represents tears, and it reminds us that our life in Egypt was a life immersed in tears. Then we have the root of a bitter herb. On panel one in your brochure, it's called the Hazeret. It would be a radish or an onion. It reminds us that the very root of life in the land of Egypt was bitter. And you know, that's what life without salvation in Jesus is like. It's bitter. It doesn't matter in the surface how beautiful the flowering plant looks. The root under the surface is bitter because there isn't hope without the Savior, Jesus. Amen? Amen. We have another bitter herb at the table, the horseradish, the maror. Everybody takes the horseradish. We take a little bit. We pass it around the table. Mm. You can't smell it through the microphone, but it's strong. What happens if when you eat a little bit of horseradish, your sinuses open up? It brings tears to your eyes, and the tears are supposed to remind us of the tears of our ancestors back in the land of Egypt. Then we have a sweet mixture of apples, raisins, nuts, and honey called the haroset. And the haroset is supposed to remind us of the mortar that our ancestors made the bricks for Pharaoh out of. But it's sweet because it reminds us of that in the bitterest labor, there was always the sweet promise for redemption. Now, those of you with kids, here's something you can do to kind of bring the story of Passover home for your families. You can Google all kinds of recipes for horosis, Middle Eastern ones with dates and figs and ginger, all kinds of things. And you can tell the story to your kids of God's redemption by just having them eat something like the horosis. Now, it was at this point in the Passover Seder that Jesus announced, I'm going to be betrayed. One of you is going to be betraying me. And all the disciples started looking around at each other, you know, who's going to do it? I mean, it kind of reminds me of the scene out of Agatha Christie's Ten Little Indians. You know, who's going to do it? And Jesus said, it's he who I dip the morsel in the sop with. And I think Judas must have zoned out or something. He's like paying attention because he's just right about that moment. He sticks his matzah in the horosis with Jesus. And he looks up. He probably said, uh-oh. And Jesus said, what you do, go do quickly. And he left the room right about then. Now, then we have two other symbols at the table. We have the roasted egg and the roasted shank bone of a lamb. Now, just as a chicken lays her eggs every day, the roasted egg is supposed to remind us of the daily sacrifices that were offered in the temple. There is no more temple in Judaism. There's no more sacrifices. But back then, in Jerusalem, there were sacrifices that were offered for the people, offered to God, So this is a symbol of grief because there are no more sacrifices. We take it, we peel it and slice it, and everybody takes a slice and dips it in the salt water. Then we have the shank bone of a lamb to remind us of the Passover sacrifices. 
Once a year, when all the pilgrims came to Jerusalem, they'd go bring a lamb, and the priest would take the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, roast it, and they'd take it home. And that meal was the the Passover feast. But in the year 70, the Roman armies destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and they ended the sacrificial system. So today... Jewish people do not have sacrifices. We don't have sacrifices for our sins, which raises an interesting question. If there are no more sacrifices, then how does a person pay for their sins? How do you pay for your sins? I mean, it's not enough to just simply say to God, oops. I mean, oops is good. It's a start. Oops is a positive step. But it's not enough. Oops doesn't pay for what you've done. I mean, I wish you could take oops and put it in that envelope and mail it to the IRS April 15th, you know? It doesn't work. Sincerity is a start, but you can't pay for your sins with sincerity. You can be sincere, and you can be sincerely wrong. We have to pay. And in the Scriptures it says, without the shedding of blood... There is no remission for sins. Maybe there are some here, even this morning. And you are very sincere. You sincerely want to please God. But you can't pay for your sins. You can't accrue enough merit before God. So that as if there are these giant cosmic scales up in heaven and he's like, looking at your little bad deeds on one side and, oh, you did a few good deeds on the other, and, you know, as if maybe those good deeds outweigh them. There are no cosmic scales. There are, but they're all like this. None of our good deeds are ever enough to pay. We have to have a payment for all of our sins, and it had to be in the sacrifice. And the Bible says it was through Jesus. When he died on the cross... He said, it is finished. And when he said that, the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom without human hands. Forty years later, the temple was destroyed. Today, we have only one sacrifice for all peoples, for all times. And that is in the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. Amen? Amen. After that, we fill our cups up the second time, and the second cup is the cup of plagues. And at this point, we recite the ten plagues. We recite each one in Hebrew. As we recite it, we take a drop of wine out of the cup and sprinkle it on our plate to remind us of the blood of the Egyptians (coughs) who suffered because of the wickedness of their leader. They suffered. But I don't want you to miss something here. And I think it was, I'm not sure in the, the uh, series, the Bible, on Sunday nights if it was brought out, but this is a really powerful message. You know, the plagues were not just about punishing Pharaoh and punishing the Egyptians. Each plague represented the death of one of the gods of Egypt. There was the god of the Nile that caused the river to overflow and leave the silt in the Nile Delta, which made that whole region very lush and fertile. There was 
the god of uh, the cattle. I believe Horus was the one who looked like the, the, the cow. Then finally, in the very ninth plague, you had the greatest god of all of Egypt. You had the one whom Pharaoh believed he was the son Ra, the sun god. I believe Isis was the daughter of Ra. Anyway, Ra, the sun god, and the ninth plague, the sun became dark, showing that God, Yahweh, had slain um, the gods of Egypt. When they left Egypt, the Bible says a mixed multitude went out with the Hebrews. What happened? See, God is a missionary God. He's not some ethnocentric God that's just concerned with one elite ethnic group. He's bringing his message to everybody. He is a God of Jews and Gentiles. When the, land, when the people of Israel reached Jericho, Rahab said, we have heard about how you slayed the, 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 brought the plagues on the Egyptians and split the Red Sea, and we're afraid of you. And she married into the Hebrew people. God has always been a missionary God who wants to bring his message to all peoples. And that was the message of the plagues of Egypt. Now, after that, the service stops. And it's at this point the meal is served and the table's cleared off. And this is a big meal. This is like Thanksgiving. I mean, uh, Aunt Esther's coming from Brooklyn and Uncle Seymour's here from Cleveland and everybody's here to celebrate. And I want to pause for just a quick second. In your brochures, you'll see there's a little involvement section. Would you take a moment, go ahead and fill it out. We have a really neat newsletter. And our newsletter will tell you more about Jewish people, about the Jewish roots of our faith in Jesus. And it'll give you some resources how you can sensitively share your faith with a Jewish friend, too. And uh, we are a resource, I hope, to you in Jews for Jesus. Our main work is sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And we'd like to maybe provide those resources for you. There's going to be a box by the door. Sorry, that side? Okay. So take this and put it in the box. Put your email on there, too. And we can send you a newsletter and let you know of future things and be able to just maybe be a resource for you. So go ahead and fill it out. And when you leave, put it over there. Or you can leave it at the table uh, over in the fellowship hall. But at this point, the meal's over, and the table set back up for this, the, the final portion of the Seder. Our cups are filled up for the third time. The third cup is the cup of redemption, the cup of redemption. But before we drink from this cup, the service stops. Nobody is allowed to drink from the cup of redemption, until something is brought back. It was broken, buried, and now it has to be brought back. And who remembers its name? The Afikoman, right? And the children run out into the house and they look for the Afikoman. And the one who finds it gets a reward. And the Afikoman is revealed again. And the father takes the Afikoman and he breaks off a piece. And he passes it around the table and everybody at the table will break off a piece from the afikoman, and we will take it together with the cup of redemption. Does this look familiar? 
This is the origin of communion. It was in the cup of redemption and the afikoman. And where else do we see a clearer picture of Christ in the Passover than in this? Consider the the afikoman. He that comes later, it was unleavened, a sign of sinless nature. It was broken, wrapped in a linen cloth. It was buried, and it had to be brought back. And matzah is also striped. That reminds me that Jesus was striped. He was striped with a Roman whip. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus wrote, by his stripes we are healed. And matzah is pierced. And that reminds me that Jesus was pierced. He was pierced with a Roman spear. And it says he was pierced through for our transgressions in the Jewish prophet Isaiah in the Jewish scriptures. In the Last Supper, Jesus took the afikoman and he said to his disciples, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And of the cup of redemption, the cup taken after the meal. It was this cup that Jesus took, and he said to his disciples, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the Passover Seder, the cup and the afikoman are taken together. Finally, the last cup is the cup of praise, the cup of Hallel. And at this point, we sing the praises that are taken from the Hebrew Psalms. And remember what the disciples did after the Last Supper? They took the cup of praise and they went up to the Mount of Olives singing the praises, the same ones that we sing to this day around the Seder table. Now, there's a cup I haven't mentioned yet cup that nobody drinks from. This is called the cup for Elijah. In most homes, they put a place out for Elijah, or they put this by the door. This is an invitation for Elijah to come and join the feast. Now, now why are we waiting for Elijah? Because in the prophets, it was written that Elijah would come before the coming of the Messiah. Elijah would come to introduce the Messiah when he arrives. So at this point, we open the door and greet Elijah, who will step through the door and take the cup and announce, Behold, the Messiah has come. And the Messiah will gather us from the ends of the earth and bring us back into the land of Israel. But every year we open the door and Elijah isn't there. So we take our seats and we sing an ancient song about Elijah that goes like this. Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Hatishbi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hagiladi. And the words mean Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Gileadite. May he come swiftly and soon in our day, bringing with him the Messiah 
the son of David. And then at the end of the Passover Seder, we close with these words, Lashana haba Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. May the Messiah come so that we will be celebrating all of this next year in Jerusalem. I made it to Jerusalem years ago when I was in college. I was over there as a summer student, uh, over the summer as an undergrad, um, studying in Tel Aviv at the, at the Weizmann Institute. I was there as a believer in Jesus, as a secret believer in Jesus. For years, I wasn't telling anybody that I believed in Jesus. My mother was the first one to come uh, and believe in Jesus. I grew up in San Antonio, and my, both my parents Jewish, and my mom was the first one in the family to believe because of Christian friends that were sharing the gospel with her. She came home and told us that she believed in Jesus. And I was kind of in shock. I was, I was only nine at the time when she became a believer, but I thought, well, you know, San Antonio, this is Texas, the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I mean, and I thought there's two types of people in the whole wide world. I had figured out Jews and Baptists. <laughs> I know about the others. I said, Mom, you become a Baptist. Well, she explained to me now that Jesus, that Jesus was Jewish and John the Baptist was not Baptist and Mary was not Catholic. And, you know, he, Jesus even had a Hebrew name, Yeshua. And that he's described in the pages of the Jewish Bible. And like most Jewish people, I really wasn't familiar with the Old Testament, but she showed me how it talked about where he'd be born and how he would die and and uh, showed me these messianic prophecies in our Bible. There they were. It's very clear. He, he's described in the Jewish scriptures. So I prayed to receive Jesus at age nine. My, my dad wasn't so happy. He was really upset. And he said, we're Jews, and that's the end of the matter, and you're going to get bar mitzvah, and none of this. So I just kept it a secret. I went on through high school and into college, not telling anybody that I was a believer in Jesus. I had become a, a, a 007 Christian. There. <laughs> so, and I went to college, and um, I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And my Christian friends kept telling me, you need to tell your Jewish friends. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. They said, so. Then I went over to Israel on a summer project, I mean, a summer studying program, living there in the land, not telling anybody I believed in Jesus. I remember seeing the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, the last remnants of the temple, and seeing all these Jewish Orthodox lined up by the wall praying. And there's this prayer in the Jewish prayer book that says, Lord, may you speedily rebuild the temple in our day and may you send your Messiah. And I was thinking, they know, I know who the Messiah is. And it's like I heard God saying, you do know, why don't you tell them? You say you love your people. You love the acceptance they've given you because you have chosen the acceptance of man rather than the pleasing of God. And I was convicted, and I realized that I was ashamed of the very one who came and died for my sins. So when I came back, I, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And by the end of college, I knew God was calling me to be a missionary, to bring this message 
to my Jewish people so that they could see uh, that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. And they could see, for example, in the Passover, how it all points toward him. So I've been serving with Jews for Jesus since then. And today in our ministry, that's, this is what we do. We, we meet individually with Jewish people, with inquirers. We share the gospel, help them see Jesus in the pages of the Jewish Bible. One of the things I do is go out to Cal State Northridge on Wednesdays from 11 to 1. And I'm out there with my colleague Sarah, and we hand out literature by the Matador Bookstore, and we are out talking to students and uh, getting to share them. We have um, an office in Israel with about 20 missionaries in Tel Aviv. We're a registered organization over there. Every summer in New York, we take a team of people to the streets of New York City for four weeks and hand out literature. New York has 1.5 million Jewish people, the largest community of Jewish people outside of Israel as far as cities. And so we have tremendous opportunities over there. And I'd appreciate you praying for us. There's a few ways that you can pray for Juice for Jesus. First, if you fill us out, I'll send you my prayer letter, and you can pray for me and Carrie and our work just right here in L.A., where there's 450,000 Jewish people. Another way you can stand with us, uh, you can also pray... um, If you would pray for our work in Israel, we're going to be uh, coordinating a huge um, evangelistic campaign in a city. It's not Jerusalem, but it is a city where there's a large Orthodox community. And it's a city where there have been some violent hostility against Jewish believers in this particular city. So we're not sure how this is going to, what to expect. So pray for our outreach this fall in that particular city. And um, also, uh, I forgot to mention, there is a brochure on the table. We are actually doing a Passover banquet. And if you would like to actually come and be a part of something like this and celebrate it, on Monday, March 25th, we're going to be doing a big Passover banquet in Santa Monica at the Olympic Collection at 6.30. Monday, March 25th. And there are brochures on the table over there, and there's some brochures on the table in the lobby that says Passover on it. So if you'd like to come and maybe bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet so they can hear the gospel sensitively explained in this context, um, pick up a brochure and see about coming to that, the Passover banquet on the 25th. And so, um, and lastly, if you want to give a gift... Um, you give a gift, there's a, a chance in the box out there where missionaries are supported through the gifts of Christians and churches, and you can be involved personally uh, that way. But the newsletter is free, and you don't have to give just to fill us out, put this in the box, and stay in touch with us. And I'll be back there afterwards to talk and answer questions and uh, be available for you. Thank you for having me uh, here to be able to present this. And to share with you, and I pray that this might be a resource for you, not just to bring you closer to Jesus, but also to be able to explain to your not-yet-believing family or friends how he is the promised one, and he can, uh, he can pay for our sins for each one of ours, too. Let me stop here and turn it over to Pastor Brian. 
This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.